Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Wow, it is, um, it is my distinct honor to be here with you guys this morning and, um, and man, to, to put a time machine on and to flash back to 2004 and realize I was seconds from being removed from Southeastern <laughs> and um, because of my bare feet. And, and now for some bizarre reason, these bare feet are now having the opportunity to, to preach the, the gospel of God's grace here in this chapel. And... Um, it is, it, it truly is surreal um, to think that, that God in his grace at times uh, works, works through means uh, that man would, would never use or think of using. God uses uh, people that few uh, that the world would ever see hope or success in. And God simply steps back and goes, watch my work. And, and I am so thankful that, that this morning there, there are so many of us where uh, in, in some way or another um, the, the world has discarded, the world has overlooked, and God in his grace goes, watch my church work. And, and um, it, uh, as, as Dr. Aiken just said, it almost didn't happen. And, and, and that for a number of reasons, you know, I'll be the... I'll be the first to say, when, when I arrived here in, in 2002, um, I, I felt like a fish out of water um, in, for, for a number of reasons, uh, being the only armless, barefooted hippie uh, chief, chief among them uh, certainly did not, uh, did not allow me to fit in by, by any stretch of the imagination, but then too, to come here and uh, to be from a rural community in, in North Carolina, a farming community where um, you know, we, we, we didn't read books, we just looked at pictures. And, um, and so uh, when, when I arrived here to my shock, not only did we read books, but we, we, we read lots of books. And, um, and I'll never forget sitting in, in Dr. Spencer's class my freshman year and looking at, at the syllabus, and I'm going, I have no idea who Isocrates and, and Albert Camus is, and little did I know, I, sh- I sure didn't know how to say their names. And, uh, and, and to suddenly just be overwhelmed with just the content and the education that, that we, we received here, and at times feels like we're being pummeled with uh, here, and to feel, to feel not only out of place, uh, but inadequate uh, to feel um, to feel completely inept for for the task at hand and and for for a good chunk of my time here, those waves would wash over me and um, and, and multiple times I thought about uh, walking away from this, um, walking away from ministry because I mean why in the world would would God use an armless redneck? for his glory. But again, that's, that's the beauty of God's gospel. And that's the beauty of God's plan that he takes broken people like me. Broken on the outside is the least of his worries, but my brokenness on the inside that the gospel stitches back together. And to see that and, and to, to begin to, to prayerfully read through the text that we're about to read this morning 
God has, has used his word in so many ways as, as truthfully as we're about to read just through the pen of Paul himself as he says, I just commend you to the word of God, which is able to keep you, which is able to point you to an inheritance that you have in him. And it was by that word, it was by that commending that we're gonna see this morning that by his grace, I stayed in this place. By his grace, he sent me out into the world to make much of him. And by his grace, it's the, the only reason I stand here this morning. It's the only reason why you sit in those pews. And it, and it is my simple prayer that as, as we leave from here, as we're maybe sitting in here this morning at, at, a, at a crossroads in, in our academic career or in our life to go, God, what is next? God, how are you gonna get me through this? To see Paul's challenge to the Ephesian elders. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, Acts chapter 20 is where we'll be. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35 is, is what we'll read. And again, this is just, um, as, as God in his kindness tends to do, God allowed me to, to come across this passage and, and to, to dig into the depths in, in my junior year here. And it has, been, it has been a well that I've gone back to a lot through, through the twists and turns in ministry, through the twists and turns in, in my life, through the twists and turns that, that my wife and I have had in, uh, in our marriage, in our parenting. It is to know that even when we don't know what's next, we trust a God who does. And we trust a gospel that doesn't depend on our gifts. So let's read Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent in the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So pay careful attention to you yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, 
Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, I just pray as as we look at your word, that God, we would be challenged by your grace and by your call to be bold, to be loving, to be dependent in all things. Father, we love you. We just pray you, you work in our hearts and in the midst of our inadequacies this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning as, as we look at, at this text and, and where we go from this point, I think, I think the most beautiful, beautiful reality that we see in here, and, and it's, it's something that I have to preach to myself a lot, it's, it's not about me, that everything in this life, it, it is not about me. And Paul, just as much, he, he starts pointing to the fact that the reason why God had brought him even to the church in Ephesus in the first place was by his grace and by his plan. As you scan the rest of Paul's epistles, it's even the realization that just the reason that Paul being formed and fashioned as he was and brought up in the family that he was is by the grace of God. And that for Paul to have such a violent and gracious encounter with the Lord that he was persecuting on the road to Damascus, and to not only be rescued and redeemed, but to be sent out to the people that he had spent the better part of his life trying to show them that he was better than them in the first place. God says, I pluck you out of the mire and I send you to the people that you've turned your back on for a really long time, and you're gonna build my church. And Paul's looking around and realizing that in this moment that everything that he is and everything that he talks about is built upon the grace of God, and apart from that, he, he had nothing. Because he said, even as I came to you, I shared nothing other than what was profitable and what was faithful, and I seek only to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And for a lot of us this morning, I think one of the most faithful things that you and I can do is we sit in a setting like this and as we soak in so much of the richness of God's word is to be able to preach this gospel to ourselves day in and day out, that I'm not here apart from the grace of God. And to see, to see Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, in, in verses nine through 11, he says this, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. But it was the grace of God that was, is with me, whether then it was I or they. So we preached and so you believed. Everything about Paul is this understanding of the beauty of the grace of God, that not only has he been purchased, not only has the debt 
that, that he had built up in a lifetime of trying to be perfect, the debt that he had built up in years of chasing after the church, that because of what Jesus did, that record is canceled. And that by the grace of God, he has been saved. So that he has nothing to boast of, he has nothing to turn around and point to himself, but it is simply Jesus that has brought him to this point. And to realize that, that you and I, as we start to calculate the debt that stood against us at one point or another, and to think that, that it was one sin of Adam and Eve that created a cosmic crack from Genesis on. And to think of how many of those cosmic cracking sins that you and I have committed in, in our life and God has canceled all of that debt to all who trust and rest in Christ as our Lord. That is what stood against us and that is what no longer stands against us. It is that grace that I've been saved. It is by that grace that I have been made. Because let's be honest, there's a, there's a lot of us in here that we don't feel like really good image bearers. We know the fact that God has formed and fashioned us in his image to display his glory in all the earth and we look at the image that we see in the mirror and we go, what is God glorifying in this? Where, where, are, the, where are the gifts in this? In a day and age when we get on Twitter, we get on Instagram and we see everybody's perfect church and their perfect preaching and their perfect suits and we think, I'm, I'm none of that. It is to realize God did not err when he made you as a bearer of his image to carry his glory in all the earth. And as we preach the realities of Psalm 139 to, to our people and to those we encounter in day-to-day -day life, it is to be able to preach that to ourselves. God didn't screw up when he gave you your ministry platform. God did not err when he gave you your collection of gifts and abilities. And sure, we might not preach like a David Platt, I do not have the hand motions that Matt Chandler has. And it makes me really, <laughs> makes me really mad sometimes. But I realize that, that's not me. That's not the gifts that God in his grace has, has provided me. But what God has done is he has formed and fashioned you to display him. It has nothing to do with displaying you and all the earth. And the moment we make grace about us is the moment that we have missed it. Grace has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And for us to sit here and to think that he hasn't been gracious enough is for us to completely miss what he has given us in the first place. And so we sit here today in complete and total recognizing the fact that God has given us much and that grace is the thread that spans our life. Grace is, is, is the thread that spans mine. To think that I was brought into this world as a, as a little armless baby boy who is not breathing and who is not moving. And I had a doctor turn to my parents and ask, do you just want us to let him go? And to graciously have two courageous parents that signed up for this. Sure, now 35 years after the fact, it looks a whole lot easier than it was then. But to think of the grace in that moment, to think of growing up and feeling like a complete and total mistake in every way, 
in a comparative world when you're the only person that you know that has to eat with their feet? It doesn't feel like grace. It doesn't feel like love a lot of times. But then to come in contact and to come and truly rest in the gospel of the grace of God that, that in his love he does something a whole lot better than giving me 10, ten fingers and a wrist and arms that what God does is even when I hated him, Jesus dies for me. And that's, that's the hope and that's the grace that rescued me out of my inadequacies and even in the times that, that as God brought, brings me to this place and I still feel like the dumbest person in the room or as I step into ministry and feel completely incapable of sitting across a table from, from a kid that's been abused or sitting with kids that, that are watching their, their parents split apart and you're trying to give them hope and you feel completely incapable at the task at hand, but God still for some reason holds me in his hand and carries me along for the task at hand. It is the grace that spans our lives from the moment we come into this world to the moment that we're called from death to life to the moment that we stand up in a pulpit and proclaim the gospel of God's grace. Every bit of it is by his hand. And for us to sit here and to preach to our people and not preach to ourselves is selfish and short-sighted. The only way we proclaim grace is for us to first tell it to ourselves and for us to make it everything about who we are. It is the gospel that we stand in. And it is the gospel that we're not gonna shrink back from because it is no accident that in here, Paul twice, he says, listen, I didn't back away from declaring to you this good news. Even in the city that you're in, the city that's built on commerce, the city that's built on being showy, the city that is a, a, an idle factory, I wasn't looking around my shoulder wondering what people are thinking about me on Twitter. I proclaim the gospel and I am innocent of the blood of all. Because the only thing Paul taught was the gospel, it is repentance, and it is faith in Jesus Christ. He, he realized the task that was in front of him. He realized the lostness and the brokenness that was surrounding him and he pulled no punches. And for us to realize in this life, for us to realize in the ministries or in the relationships that God has given us, the last thing we need to do is to shrink back from that gospel. When it is in a day and age and in a country where that is starting to become more and more difficult day by day. When we can sit here and those who may be in charge of this nation one day threaten to withhold tax-exempt status because we may teach a biblical perspective of marriage, or to think that by standing up for biblical soundness and doctrine that the social media backlash can be so swift and can be violent. In a day and age where conversations are almost always teetering on the edge of political correctness, like what, what in the world do we do? And it is important for us to realize that Jesus himself has called us to speak the truth in love, but one is not divorced from the other. 
Love without truth is not faithful. Truth without love is not Christ-honoring. And for us to boldly proclaim that and realize it it is only in this this life-changing gospel right here that people have hope. And you you look at Jeremiah and the task set before him and the people that he was put in the midst of, and as he proclaimed and as he spoke the words of God, people time after time ignore him and shrug him off. You see in Jeremiah 26, the Lord just simply says, you're gonna tell the people, whatever I tell you, do not withhold a word. Guys, there, there are times when we truly wanna withhold bits of who we are. We want to withhold the truth that God has called us to proclaim. And much in the same way that Paul declared, I will not shrink back from this gospel, so we must go and do the same. Because there are people all around us being snapped up by the lies of the world. There are people being scattered and destroyed. And as Paul warns his people, as Paul warns his guys, the Ephesian elders, he says, as soon as I step away, wolves are coming. As it talks about in John 10, simply all wolves do is snatch the sheep and scatter the sheep. And even the warning is, is from among you. Men will rise up with terrible teaching with lies, and they will draw people unto themselves. Be ready. Watch yourself, watch each other. And y'all, it is no different from us. We can look around in a day and age and we can see there are all sorts of, there are all sorts of teachings that claim gospel, but they affix a word to it. And if you have to qualify the gospel with anything, it's not the gospel. If you withhold the gospel, if you alter the gospel, if you sanitize the gospel, you have sanitized Christ himself and it is worthless. And it is so in view of that that we preach the gospel to our people and we remain watchful because the wolves are waiting. The wolves are among us. And for us in this room, it is for us to sit here and to prepare ourselves for what is ahead. And, 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 and I wish in, in my years of ministry that there weren't times when men that I locked arms with in ministry remained faithful 100% of the time. But that just always hasn't been the case. And I've had good men that I thought were on my team betray me and my family, and the gospel. I've watched people that I love dearly be led away with false teaching, be led away with the tickling of ears, only to be left with no hope. When we have this reality that, that within this world, we are, we are truly in a spiritual war, and that war will have casualties that you know face to face. 
And you will have times in your ministry and in your life where people have been led astray and all you can do is try to encourage and exhort only to watch them be wounded. Heather and I sat sat with a woman on Sunday who not only had been hurt by a brother in Christ, but had been hurt by a shepherd of the church of God and to watch her weep over it and weep over the wounds and still be able to say, but my God is better than those wolves. My hope is greater than me seeking justice in this life. My hope and my justice is promised not in this flesh, but but in the life to come. And that's where I'm placing all of my hope. And to see the fact that there is still goodness even as the wolves descend, there is still hope even in the midst of the darkness because y'all, we'll all, I think without equivocation would say, yeah, we completely refute the prosperity gospel and the lie that it is. But it is also for us to adopt the reality. It is, to, it, it is for us to truly realize, well, that, then that means the wolves are coming. Because if they did not spare our Lord, they will not spare us. If they mocked him, they will mock me. If they abused him, they will abuse me because I have taken his name. And for us to renounce the prosperity gospel is for us to renounce, is, is for us to hold to a gospel that bears a cross and denies ourselves and follows the one who died for us. That is, where, that is where we hope. That is where our victory is. And church, this morning, I pray that's the victory you preach to yourself day in and day out. It is to know that our Lord has already won. That is why Paul can faithfully say in Philippians 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That in this life, my hope, my love, my, my strength, my everything is built upon him. And that even if I should die for my faith, I will pass from this life to the next and see the one that I've lived my life for. I win regardless. And it is all because of him. And that is the reason why we work. As Paul closes this text that we just read, He commends us to the gospel of God's grace. He commends us to his word, and he calls us to work. Because we have to realize, y'all, we have the good news. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just news. This is the life-transforming, hope-giving, identity-building gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that becomes old news to us, then it becomes old news to our people and it becomes old news to all those around us. We have the only hope of the world. We have the only hope for an armless kid like me that felt like an afterthought, that felt like damaged goods. We have the hope for a woman who has been abused by people that claim the name, but we can show how he is better than our hurts and our arrows that we have to sustain in this life. We have a hope that does not flash and fade. 
There are plenty of things in, in this world that people will chase after and they will think that sustains them and gives them hope and carries them along and it will only fail them. But what we have in Jesus, that is what the world needs. That's what we can't afford to be quiet about. So I pray as you sit in this place this morning that you're not only counting grace, but that you're counting cost to realize to be faithful to the cross of Christ is to put yourself in the middle of a war that will cause casualties in your own heart and among your family and among the people that you love. But it is the war that Paul says right here, it is worth fighting. And as he finishes with his people, all he can do is gather together with them and they cry, and they pray, and they all go their separate ways for the callings that God had set before them. Please, as you leave this place today, don't, don't cry over your calling. Don't cry over the fact that your church isn't their church, or your mission field isn't their mission field, or your gifts are not their gifts. Pray as we leave this place, we weep knowing that there are so many people that we dearly love in our lives that apart from the work of Christ will die and go to hell. That we will weep tears of joy knowing the hope that we have in us and knowing that our war is won. So all we do is we wait, we follow, and we speak just as Paul did, without shrinking back, without backing away from what Jesus has said in front of us. May we be faithful to testify to the gospel of God's grace in all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that for the fact that in your grace, you've chosen broken people like us, people with history, people with hurts, people with inadequacies. God, and you have called us out to go and take the gospel. And I just pray that in every step, in every word, in every breath, that we are faithful to tell of the one that we trust. That we are faithful to always see the greatness of your good news. God, may it be ever great in our hearts and in our minds. May it be always on our lips and always in the way we love. Father, use us as we leave this place this morning to reflect, to reflect your glory and your grace. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.